Well, this time of year, it's a year that we often enjoy leftovers. Uh, who's been enjoying leftovers over the past couple of days? What's a favourite leftover that you've been enjoying over the past couple of days? Just ham? What else? Turkey. Turkey on the reheat sometimes can be a bit, bit dry. You've got to be careful with that. What else have be, people been enjoying for leftovers? Chocolate. Lots of chocolate. Lots of chocolate. Trifle. Yes. Uh, anything else that you've enjoyed for leftovers? Glenda. Christmas pudding. And, yet, and there's up, someone up the back. Lollies. Lots of lollies. Uh, if you're younger, perhaps if you're a little bit older as well. Well, leftovers sometimes can be better than the first offering. Is that not right? You know, it's been in the fridge perhaps, it's, it's brewed, maybe served a little colder, the flavour comes out. Well, we're going to have a look at a passage this morning that you might term leftovers. It's a passage that's sometimes neglected. It doesn't quite fit or often is too difficult to fit into a Christmas uh, sermon and a Christmas account. It's the end of chapter 2 of Matthew's Gospel and there's great hope there for us. Because in this leftover section, just that portion that Sienna read um, from verse 19 following, Matthew closes out the story of Jesus' birth with what's really a, a puzzling statement. Have a look there in chapter 2, verse 23. He says... And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, these words have often confused and, and puzzled close Bible readers because, in fact, if you search the Old Testament from beginning to end, you won't find the words, he shall be called a Nazarene. So, how did living in Nazareth, how did Jesus living in Nazareth fulfil the expectation of the prophets? We've seen that prophecy is a big idea in Matthew's Gospel, and prophecy is fulfilled in lots of different ways, sometimes quite literally, like with Micah's prophecy in the birth of Jesus' place in Jerusalem. At other times, it's more figurative. But what's going on here? It says that through the prophets he would be called a Nazarene, but there's nowhere in the prophets that says that. Well, Jewish people like Matthew and those who first heard the gospel loved wordplay. They loved puns. And so some people think that perhaps calling Jesus a Nazarene, Matthew is playing on the sound of the Hebrew word for branch, netster. And it's used here in, in the way in which... It's being used in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch, a nester. In Matthew's own day, these words were already being interpreted to refer to Jesus as king. So Matthew's been showing us that this stump, this one who would be born, is part of Jesse's family, this royal family King David's father, Jesus, son of David, son of Jesse, Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus the Nestor one, the branch one. That's one possibility. 
The other possibility, which I think is more likely, is in John's Gospel, where John records the way in which the Nazarene or Nazareth was understood for people back in the first century. Nathaniel makes this comment in John chapter 1, verse 46. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Um, now, we live in a nice place called Mortlake. Many of us live around this area, but if you lived 100 years ago, perhaps if you were of some uh, monetary substance and you lived in uh, Strathfield, which was the most expensive suburb in Australia 100 years ago, you might have turned your nose down a little bit with those who are living by the water here in Mortlake. Uh, you might not have dared to come this side of Parramatta Road. You might have said, can anything good come out of Mortlake? Well, this is the kind of idea that is behind Nathaniel's comment. So Matthew is trying not, not to trick us um, to say, you know, see if you can find the verse, but it's not actually there. I think he's, and I think what he's doing is he's saying that the message of the prophets would, and the message of the prophets is that this king would not emerge from the Mortlakes of the world. Sorry, the Strathfields of the world. Uh, this Messiah wouldn't come from the ruling classes, from the royal palaces, from the powerful people. Instead, I wonder if he's got Isaiah's prophecy in mind. Whereas Isaiah says, he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In other words, he's a Nazareth type of person. He's Mortlake, not Strathfield. Right from Jesus' infancy, Jesus was the child who the prophecy gave every indication that he would be not a man of palaces and prestige, but in fact a man of poverty and suffering. Isaiah's servant songs speak about this. And we read this in the New Testament as well. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, we read that though he was in the form of God, he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was the king born in Bethlehem who would become the saviour at Calvary. And the cross is even embedded in this account of his birth. It was his destiny. And the cross is really the watermark that's under every statement in the Gospels as it speaks of Jesus. And in the same way as Matthew's story about Jesus began with Abraham, in whose seed the nations would be blessed, and that seed would be intertwined with David and would eventually lead us to Jesus, he was called a Nazarene, a suffering one prophesied by Isaiah, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But the deeper truth is that this one who was born was one who would die. 
As Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53, verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. What we've just celebrated at Christmas is a story of, really, the cross from the beginning. Christmas, we rightfully say, is the dawning of God's redeeming grace. And we've seen that as we've read from Matthew's Gospel. But as we take Matthew's gospel to the end, we see that the light of God's grace reaches further from his birth as a Nazarene. We read in Matthew's gospel that this one who was born was also crucified, risen, and was ascended to the right hand of the Father, telling his followers in Matthew 28 verse 19 to go and make disciples of all nations. I think Matthew, as he concludes his gospel uh, inserting Jesus' words about going to the nations, he knew that neither he nor any of the apostles could personally go to every nation on earth. But this gospel account, this word of his birth, of his life, of his death and of his resurrection could and has and has come to us. And we've reflected on the beginning of Matthew's account of Jesus' life over the last couple of weeks and we've learnt that there is nothing more important in the world than to welcome Jesus like Mary and Joseph did and we've been reminded as we've seen the journey of the Magi that there is no journey more significant than to go in search of this king like those wise men and we've been reminded that there is no fellowship more wonderful there is no relationship more important than the relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus, to bow before him as Emmanuel, God with us. And there is no other saviour. There is no other saviour for us or for anyone other than the saviour who was born in Nazareth, the Nazarene, who is our king. And so we've been reminded that we worship over Christmas. We've been reminded that we worship, but we worship in a certain place in time. We worship like Jesus, not in a palace, but we worship in the wilderness. And even this passage is pointing us to this wilderness experience of Jesus' life. As we hear about his Egyptian exile, Jesus would be brought out of Egypt. And so in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, we hear these words, fulfill what the Lord was had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son. These words from Hosea reflect on the rescue of God's people, his son Israel, from the slavery in Egypt. And there are echoes in Jesus' life of a story of Genesis and Egypt, of the story of Exodus and Egypt, because both in Genesis and Exodus, a family goes down into Egypt and is rescued from a wicked ruler. And this young one grows up to lead his people out of their bondage. They pass through the waters of the sea. They are tested where? Those people are tested in the wilderness. And that's where we are. We're in, and we always have been, particularly this year, I think, we're in the wilderness. It's not easy in the wilderness. Things aren't comfortable. They're not like they should be in the wilderness. But that is where we are. 
but we are worshipping the Lord Jesus in the wilderness. This is a year before us that has come with uncertainty. Uh, we keep hearing, if you're anything like me, as you read the newspaper, as you hear on the news, we keep hearing, and we've heard for the last two years, COVID is present. This is what the news tells us over and over again. COVID is present. What does Matthew tell us? Matthew tells us that we're in the wilderness. Yes, and COVID might be present. There is disease. And it is hard. But Matthew tells us something else. He tells us that Jesus is present. And we're reminded in these events of Jesus' birth that they cast this shadow backwards. That Jesus is the reality of the Exodus. He is the true son who was called out of Egypt. He would go through the waters of baptism in the River Jordan in Matthew chapter 3. He would be tested in the wilderness. And where every other single human had failed, Jesus remains faithful. So Matthew, as he concludes chapter 2, is telling us that Jesus, that in Jesus, a greater exodus, a greater rescue has begun in his life. And as we read this Gospel of Matthew, we're reminded that Jesus is with us in our exodus. He is rescuing us. You see, Jesus isn't taken to Egypt simply for his own safety. He's taken to Egypt to fulfil the prophecy, to fill out and fill up a pattern that God had written into the pages of history to point us forward to a new exodus, a final exodus, an eternal salvation. And Jesus has come through that exodus. And now by his spirit, he comes to us in the wilderness. He comes to us in a wilderness moment. And we remember, as Jesus has gone through the wilderness himself and has been faithful, he is with us in our wilderness. He has gone before us. He is leading us. He is bringing us home. And this year we are to remember, yes, COVID is present. But we as Christian people need to remember, first and foremost, that Jesus is present with us in the wilderness when it's not comfortable, when it's uncertain. Because if he is with us, there is no earthly danger. There is no worldly power. There's no spiritual snare that we need to fear. We just have to remember that he is with us. Amen. Please stand as we sing, particularly loudly. I'm going to invite you to sing particularly loudly. Only a 